Welcome to Disrespectfully Agree with Oatman and LJ. I am LJ. Across from me is Oatman. What's up? And we have a guest with us today, Simona Ipperin. I said that wrong. Could you no, correct that? No, correct no, me that for that. That's perfect. Oh, okay. Thank well, we you. We just call her Mona Superfly. That's even better. <laughs> On today's episode, we are going to tackle The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro's latest, it's his Oscar-winning effort. Let me start with our guest. Okay. Where do you stand on this, well, where do you stand on Guillermo del Toro's work in the first place? I'm not a big Guillermo del Toro fan. You're not into Blade Two or Hellboy or any? I did like those. Oh, okay. But to me, <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth and The Shape of Water were... The weakest ones. Really interesting. Yeah. So is uh, his more, let's say, comic booky efforts you're into? How about Pacific Rim? That was okay, but I was not a big fan uh-huh. again. Right. So I'm not a, I'm not a big fan ah. of his work. I have right. some problems with him. Well, you are going to get in some fights with people <laughs> on the internet then. All right, what was your reaction to this film? Shape so I absolutely loved the beginning and the end of this movie amazing pure cinema and i also like the soundtrack the music but the rest everything in between the story uh, now that is most of the movie <laughs> <laughs> exactly so most of the movie i was like I don't know, there's something that doesn't work and it sounds so false and the characters were so like up in my face like the the gay guy and the black woman who is a janitor and the main character janitor so how much more politically correct can we get <laughs> All right, so it's, well, let me take this to Oatman then. It seems like that film is trying to be about the outsiders, and I can see this reaction to, oh, it's so obviously trying to be that, and I get that criticism. Where do you stand on that? I don't know. I, that, I didn't. I thought those were the stronger pieces of the movie. I thought the Richard Jenkins performance was quiet. It was delicate. It was nuanced, and it was honest. So I really, I, I love that part of the movie. I thought the acting was outstanding. Uh, I thought uh, Olivia Spencer wasn't given a lot to do, but what she did, she did well. Playing kind of what I call the magical Negro character of the play. You know, the one who sort of gives all the advice and and sort of is the touch tone of wisdom in the play. I mean, it's a very stereotypical and unremarkable trope, but it, she did it well. So I had no issues with, with that. My issues probably laid in other places. And some of my issues were more genre-specific. This film is sort of a mixture of science fiction and fantasy. And I tend to lean more science fiction than a fantasy fan. And one of the reasons why is I find that fantasy sometimes does not hew to the rules that it sets for itself. I know exactly where you're going with this. Yeah, and for me, what I like about science fiction is that science fiction tries to, at least good science fiction, follows the (laughs) rules of the world that it's in. I don't think that this film always did that. And to me, that's the... That's the fantasy side. To me, fantasy is sort of a store shop window version of science fiction. It's beautiful when you're looking on the other side of the storefront window. Just don't look too closely. Because once you get closely, you find out that the product inside is fairly shoddy. And I I use that analogy to really talk about the logic of some of the things that happen in the film. Those were the things that bothered me. The acting was wonderful. I I don't know how anybody can critique the acting. The actors here are master actors doing fairly good material 
in a beautifully set film. It's sort of the logic of it and the storytelling that falls down. And I find that with Del Toro's work, that's where I usually fault him in the storytelling sometimes. The visuals are beautiful. It's beautiful to look at. And this film is just gorgeous. Each shot could almost be taken as an individual picturesque frame of a picture or a painting. Mm -hmm. You get to the logic. Like there's a scene in here where she fills up her bathroom. And none of the water leaks out. It fills all the way to the top of the ceiling. And I remember thinking, nope. I'm not, I'm not riding with that. That's bullshit. And that makes no sense in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that was some of my issues. I, I respected the fact that they did, they, they actually did a very interesting thing here. They said, let's create a dystopian world, but let's not do it from a contemporary place. Let's create a dystopian world from a 1920s perspective. So if I was a 1920s science fiction or fantasy writer, what would a dystopian world look like to me? It even had the tropes of communism and socialism and communists running around trying to sabotage things. The visual work was all sort of 1920s dystopian work. I thought that was brilliant, but I just felt that they violated their own logic over and over again. And those were the parts that threw me out of the film from time to time, including, and I know Mona liked the ending. I hated the ending. I hated it with a raw, let's, unyielding I, passion. Let's hold off on the ending for a moment. Let's, till, until we destroy the ending here, uh, <laughs> just in case anyone hasn't seen it, we'll come back to that. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I know. But I've got to. I've got to preface all these things with a little spoiler alert. I forget to do that. I, I want to say that I totally agree with everything you said. So I don't have a problem with the actors. So I totally agree that the actors did a great job. I also totally agree with you that uh, Guillermo del Toro does not know how to. To tell a story that's one that's his biggest problem so i i actually i agree with everything you said i also get in fights with people on the internet about guillermo he is beloved by movie fans because he is such a movie fan i feel like a lot of directors get a pass who are big movie fans now you might argue with me on this uh Oatman, but scorsese i think is uh beloved by movie fans because he's such a movie fan and historian but i've never enjoyed one of his films of, of who Scorsese. Are you insane? I know. You're going to get... That's the no, thing. Yeah, what do you mean you've never enjoyed guy. one of his films? Mona, thank you. for yeah, You're on I my side? Like, wait, 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 I wait, don't wait. Like so, you've, <laughs> so you've not seen Casino? I have. And you didn't enjoy it? Not especially, no. And you didn't see Goodfellas? You yeah, didn't enjoy I saw it? that. And you didn't enjoy it? No. The Mean Streets? Not seen that one. N- none of that. I mean, <laughs> what do you mean you didn't, you've never enjoyed the Scorsese film? No. And uh, the more yeah, he, especially either. the I'm more not. he uh, collaborates with Leonardo DiCaprio, the, the less I enjoy his work. Insanity. They're, You're insane. <laughs> Leo Leo is a, I, we're going to get off topic on the Leo thing. Leo's a brilliant actor. He, is, he acts harder than anybody else. It doesn't mean he acts well. He acts extremely he acts, well. He acts hard. That's no, what he does. Well. He acts super hard. He's uh, definitely cute. Oh, well, sure. Well, yeah, he's, that an mean, attract- I, he's an attractive I, man. I wouldn't yes. kick him out of bed. It's not, I'm not saying that. Um, <laughs> that's besides the point. You have never seen a Scorsese film that you liked? No. Me, that's, ne- me neither. Thank you. You didn't like Goodfellas? No. You said you like storytelling. You, I you like, I liked the, the one that I liked the most from all the Scorsese movies I've seen was Casino. It was kind of like a video clip. That time I was watching MTV and it was kind of like an MTV video clip. <laughs> but more than that, I don't get what's so great about him. Yeah, he's fine. He is perfect. He is a craftsman. He's fine. <laughs> he's fine. He makes a, he makes a, a, 
perfectly adequate movie. He puts wow. together the scenes. His actors a say the things. Perfectly adequate. Absolutely. You're comparing Scorsese to marital sex. You're insane. What's wrong with that? <laughs> he's, he's he's more than perfectly adequate. Marital sex is great. I assume. <laughs> I guess I can't speak on that. But <laughs> back to Shape of Water. I'm not a huge Guillermo fan. I agree with everything you said, Oatman. He makes things look fantastic. They never look real, but they look fantastic. But this movie, I'm going to take issue with one of your critiques about this being fantasy. It's not. It's a fairy tale, which is a different thing. It's related. No, it's, is it, how is it a different thing? I mean, fantasy is fairy tale. Fairy tales are fantasy, but fantasy is not fairy tale. I would disagree with that. I guess so. But fairy tales are much more fantastical, rely much less on logic, much more on morality tales, bad things happening, things coming out of nowhere, things being unjustified, and especially the endings tend to be absurd and nonsensical, come out of nowhere. Uh, either th- something good happens or something bad happens, but it's usually kind of just, well, why did that happen? Because magic. That's why. And the characters generally in fairy tales aren't well drawn uh, at least they serve a purpose but they're there to serve that purpose they're not really well human i mean beings. if you're talking about a 1600 german fairy tale uh, yeah, yeah that's what i'm talking about but if you're talking about well well the ger- the fairy tale genre didn't stop there i mean that may be the genesis of a lot of it but certainly wasn't the end sure it's but those are the tropes they usually true play, but, but there's a lot of more modern day fairy tales like for instance i would just point to what disney did to the fairy tale they took the fairy tale and updated it and they certainly created more well-formed characters than were sure. from the original source text so i don't know that you can expand that but this is not a disney film I didn't say it was, but I'm just saying you said fairy tales. Yeah, I, I think, think Guillermo's going back to the older style. That's the kind of fairy tale he's drawing upon, and that's the kind of logic he uses. Yeah, that's what I saw more as a fairy tale, definitely, and especially at the end. I don't want to go to the end, but yeah, I was like, how many more fairy tales he's mixing? I guess here? we might as well bring up the ending. That's what we're all dying <laughs> to talk about. The worst. All right, spoiler for the ending. This is something I think it was so telegraphed. That's what I'm saying. It's so, it, it, first of all, let me just say what it is. It first. didn't come out of nowhere. It's like, no. oh my god, he's not, and I said, no, he's not going to do that. Yeah, well, yeah, we no. you hope, but it, it's all right. So this, uh, the main character, she has three scars on her neck, and that's obviously reminiscent of Gills. That's what it's meant to evoke, anyway. There's also a random reference of her being discovered as a child, uh, either in water or near water. Near a, a river uh, bank or something. An orphan uh, taken to an orphanage. And then at the end, we've seen this creature perform some magical healing aspect things. But then out of nowhere, he also has the magic ability to turn these scars into gills for <laughs> our main character, our protagonist. Uh, so that she can now live live in the water. Now, the question is, I guess there's a question about whether or not that actually happened. It is presented as a fairy tale with the storytelling at the beginning and, and at the end with the old man telling the story, Richard Jenkins. And it could very well be his flight of fancy, what he wishes happened at the end. It could also be what actually happened. I'm not sure it really matters because it's a Guillermo del Toro movie, especially a fairy tale type movie, or if you want to say fantasy. That is the story we get. So, in either case, that doesn't work for us? Is that what we're saying? The gills, specifically, I take I it. I disliked thing. it because I, I felt it, it was set, even though... It, it just makes no sense. Uh, the way that I read it is that she's a fish person, too. Okay. All, always was. Right. Well, if she's a fish person, then how come that's the only trait that she picked up of the 
fish people. Gills are not just slits on the side of a fish's neck. They're, they're actually attached to internal organs that actually, like, do stuff. Don't bring your science into this. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, they're, they're more than just, I mean, and not only that, gills tend to open when you, like, I don't know, wash your neck. It just made no sense. Which brings me to the fairy tale thing. It's a fairy tale, and it's, uh, and it's an I ending that is nonsensical. I think that's an insult to fairy tales. Well, there's some bad fairy tales. Uh, Mona, yes. The, the reason I like it because before the end, I saw that the only connection or the main connection between the asset and the woman, the main character, was sex. I mean, what else? Because they couldn't communicate in any other ways. Well, that's not true. <laughs> They and then they with the they communicated a lot in the film, and that's why in the end I was like, okay, now I got it. it they communicated more because they are the same. They are both some type of fish. No, but they were. It's com- not just sex. That's why I like the end. It's like, okay, I get, I get what? it now. It was not just sex. But it wasn't just about fish, Dick Mona. I mean, it was. <laughs> if you go back, there was a there was sort of a love of music being shared back and forth. There there was sort of a kind of unspoken stuff of kindness like when he was being beat like when he's being beaten or whatever she comes and she touches him and then she feeds him which is a very primal thing that's not about sex her playing music for him is not about sex that's about connection it's about connection that's about you know her looking into his eyes with her kind eyes but she does prefer aquatic erotica Right. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean who, who doesn't? I, I, <laughs> that's my, you know. I'm just, I'm just saying. I, I felt, I'm not saying it's well connected, is, but it is. No, there. I'm just saying there was more. Th- this was not about sex. I I read it as being mainly about sex. That's an interesting peek into your personal. Life. Well, I mean, to not, be fair, <laughs> well, to be fair to, to to be fair to Mona's point, she does. Now, this is true of any movie in which there's any romantic movie or romantic comedy or whatever. Once, you know, a couple is together, there are shots of them being happy and afterwards. But she does seem to be much more content with herself and comfortable with herself after this first sex scene. Yeah, and why she played music for him and fed him to have sex with him. That's the main goal. I don't think that's to have sex with him. I think she met somebody that was like her, not because she was a fish and he was a fish, but because she couldn't talk and he couldn't talk. And she met somebody who she could actually communicate with on a different level. But I don't think it's about sex. I mean, the sex is just one creepy, weird aspect of that. It's sort of the end point of a journey. I don't. Are think you are you shame, are you slut shaming her? <laughs> no, I'm sir? just saying. You- <laughs> I, I don't think she looked into that tub when he sticks his big clammy hand up there and said, "Man, I got to get me a piece of that." <laughs> I think I think I think the connection happens when she's feeding him and she's looking into his eyes and she's feeling sympathy for him and and reaching out to him and I think there's a transference that happens. That's very subtle, but I don't think that's about sex. As, as, of all the issues I have with the film, I don't think that's but it. They have that tender moment in the tub where he makes a move and she freaks out, but seems like she was sending out vibes beforehand and oh just it God. took a moment for her to recognize, oh yeah, I did want to get in 
Get I'm not saying that. that sex isn't a part, but I'm just <laughs> saying it's a it's a destination along a journey. I don't think her main thing was, oh, I got to get me a piece of some of that tuna. That That is not the purpose of what she did. How dare you say how, tuna? I think that's how women perceive. Like, that's interesting because I'm the only woman here discussing with two guys. And during the movie, that's what was funny to me. There were girls around me. And during the movie, the only comments I've heard from the girls were like, about how come, how the sex work and how the <laughs> thing came out. And when I got out of the movie theater on the hallway and on my way to the car, all the girls around me that I didn't know, but I was trying to hear what they were saying, they were talking about exactly the same thing. The sex scene. No, that was Octavia Spencer's no. question as well, to be <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, she was, yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying that isn't a shocking aspect of the film. I agree with that. And I think it is a question which goes to my logic thing of how that works. I'm just saying the way he set it up, and he sets it up before, I don't think for that character that's what that was about. Just like when I saw Monsters Ball and Holly Berry and Billy Thornton on that floor, that sex scene isn't about sex. That sex scene is about her trying to connect to another character so she can feel something other than pain. So even though it's a shocking sex scene and almost horrific for some people, I don't think the scene for but the it, character is about sex. To stick That's with the Monster's Ball comparison, though, that, that moment isn't about isn't really about healing. It's not about finding somebody to be with. That I didn't is, say that. You're I know, right. but I think that is the case here. I think you're wrong. In the shape of water. I think that is about finding somebody, having somebody to be with, to spend your life with. Oh, that may be so. It may be about a connection which you finally has. True. But the my sex scene po- Monster's Ball is strictly that. It is, this but is something a, I need my, right my now. My point but- is, is that it's not about sex. So what we talk about is the sex before the character in that moment but is not about sex. you can't separate the two. I, I just did. I, but I, I'm, I know, and I'm saying you're wrong. I'm it, saying for Halle Berry, sex, for Halle Berry, yes, it is separate. It's about her feeling something other than pain. And for this character, but it is not here. whether she has sex with that character or not, she connected to that being in a way she hadn't connected to anything else. And and I think Del Toro does a, a beautiful job of showing us this character's isolation, even amongst her friends. She's isolated and sort of in a world to herself, and then finally she feels as though somebody has the key to that world that she's locked in. It's about that connection. It's not about her getting some fish dick. That's that's a that's icing on the cake for her, whatever that is. But it's but it's for the character, it's not about sex. It's about connection. But Both. she was masturbating every morning, no? So sex was really. She's a sexual being. <laughs> well, sure, but I don't think that's what that was about. I think deaf or not, she could have got a taste. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the uh, was Michael Shannon, Zod from Man of Steel. Can we talk about his character for a moment? Yeah. I'm not sure where I stand with him. He's... Great actor. He's a, Yeah, he. I think the performance is great. I have issues. It goes, I guess, to the fairy tale thing. He is Gaston, in a way. Um, but... Uh, I don't... <laughs> but he also seems so otherworldly and detached. It's so obvious that he's meant to be the villain i mean i guess that goes to the fairy tale thing i just don't know where he seems neither here nor there neither fish nor fowls pardon the pun where do you stand on his performance in this film yeah i think it's the character in the story again i have no problem with the actor and the actor did a great job but the character yeah i feel like that's Guillermo del toro's problem he does the same like in pan's labyrinth the villain was the same, like a guy was married to the girl's mom and was the same 
way, like such an evil person out of this world, evil. So kind of in a way, he's the same as the fish, because they are both so out of this world. But to me, I didn't like, I thought it was more of a caricature. So he was sure, shown yeah. like, yeah, too much in my face, like, look, this is the bad guy. Yeah, I mean, he was, I was, trans- I mean, he was magnetic on the screen. It's like, I couldn't, I, I enjoyed the performance, but it just, as kind of interesting as it was, it just pushed me away mm-hmm. at the same time. I had no problem with that. That that part was okay for me, uh, largely because, and I agree with how the character is drawn, but I think there are times in which the character can rise above the writing. And we just have a lot of examples of that, where sure. the director is trying to take a character one way, but the actor takes it another way. And I think that's what I felt in this film. It reminds me of that schism that Spike Lee had with Annabella Sciorra in the film Jungle Fever. He had one perspective on the female character. He believed that she was having sex with this black man to have an adventure. That's what Spike Lee believed. Annabella Sciorra felt like she fell in love with this handsome, attractive black man who's intelligent, why wouldn't she fall in love no matter what color she was? And I I dare you to go watch the film Jungle Fever and you tell me who won that argument between the director and the actor. The person who always wins that argument is the actor. And I think that's the character that was drawn for Michael Shannon. I don't think that's the character that he plays. I think he, he infuses it with some very interesting touches that I think make it rise above what the writing was like you say he's out of this world evil well i don't think he's out of this world evil there's a scene at the end with octavia spencer when he's clearly been pushed to the end of his rope he didn't hurt octavia spencer he could have he didn't hurt that husband he could have but his mission is to stop this fish which he feels is a threat to both his career and to whatever and he does that and i think he does a really good job of raising the character i thought it was really good i thought it was one of the shining points of the movie for me i did like when he the scene when he bought a cadillac or what oh yeah it was a weird moment why'd you like that because that was an interesting character moment for him that suggests to me for such an alpha male to be so easily swayed mm-hmm. uh, by they're, they're a They're coming a car in on the, fifth, on the 50s, Dad. Yeah, I gotcha. And when he has that 50 sex with his wife, I thought that was great. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> he comes in with his wife, and she's sitting there, and she's like, Hey, honey, you want to come up to the bedroom? And she goes up, and he just gives her that quick bang out and then sort of skips out. He's the 50s dad, and uh, I thought it was an interesting commentary on it. And I think Shannon played it well. He's you know, he's a little racist. He's a little this, he's a little, a little bit, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But that, so the car scene, what, what stood out to you about that moment? Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting that he was so easily manipulated by the salesman versus his other relations with other characters, like with the main character, the fact that he is drawn to her because she can't talk. Yeah, no? that was an odd, that struck me as such a weird writer's a Guillermo del Toro thing. We got to make this guy creepy. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing we can do that he and that he's. Oh yeah. And yeah. there, there were moments like that where it seemed like the characters didn't know each other because mm. they don't. Um, but you know, don't don't speak. Is that like is this new for his wife or is this a new thing because he met this mutely? Mm-hmm. I, the, those kind of connections are there because we're supposed to be creeped out by this guy, and that's not the only example of it. But it For just seems yeah. just really manufactured and forced. Yeah, yeah, I, I had that feeling about the character. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Those are the moments where I'm like, oh, 
that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, there's so much good in the film, but there are so many moments where I just, it just pushes me out of the film where I'm like, that doesn't belong there. That's manipulation. Mm-hmm. That's the writer trying to shove an emotion down my throat. I yeah. just had too many of those where it just popped me out. Again, back to my fairy. Like, you can give this movie a pass because I think it is a fairy tale. I think that's what he's trying to do. And I think that's why it got a pass in so many ways. But fairy tales, by and large, don't. Especially, as you were saying, you said fantasy. I disagree with the fantasy version. Oh, of this. yeah. But when it comes to fairy tales, I agree. If it, if it is just fairy tale logic, this happens because magic, whatever. I mean, Little Mermaid, classic example of, oh, he can use his trident to turn her into a human all of a sudden because magic, I guess. Those moments are nice and, you know, the happy ending, but they're so false. Well, I mean, unfortunately, there's sort of this phenomena of fantasy because fantasy has become so big. Stop Some, saying fantasy. Well, that's the way I choose. Right. Other boy for saying <laughs> fantasy, fantasy creeping into science fiction, right. where you have these science fiction, wonderful sti- science fiction stories that are infused with these fantasy tropes, and those are the moments that just challenge me. I mean, we we saw one recently in the, in the last Star Wars where. Princess Leia all of a sudden is some kick-ass Jedi and she's free-floating through space. There's more than one of those in The Last Jedi. (laughs) Mona, you had a... What do you want to call it? I was saying, so I like to use the word fairy tale, but kind of like to make peace between you two. What about instead of fairy tale or fantasy if we're saying magic realism? Or, you know, we could do also, Mona. We could just decide that I'm right. We could. And move on. But that will not happen. <laughs> How about we do that? No. <laughs> I would, no. If I would have the options, I would go with either like, magical realism yeah. or fairy tale. I don't want, we don't have time to go in yeah. too far into magical realism. <laughs> there, it's a whole genre in and of itself. But I think it's clear we have a, a problem <laughs> with whatever <laughs> definition we want to call this thing. So I am a solid thumb sideways on this one kind of artfully done it's kind of a visual poem to our visual poem in a way and for that enjoyable but also kind of frustrating and distancing for me i'm a solid thumbs up just because there are too many good pieces here not to see and not to study and not to enjoy and not only that i think it's also a kind of film that for people who not who are not as immersed in science fiction and other genre fiction they won't even notice any of this or care I think they'll they'll just enjoy the ride. So I think for just your layperson, great film. Go see it. Get to see a fish have some sex with a chick and some well, kind of yeah. fantasy stuff. Go mm-hmm. have a ball. So I would go with the Tom sideways because I like the cinematography. Again, I I love the beginning and the end, but not so the, skip ahead. The poem, what you're yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was like, yeah, I love the I like Tarkovsky movies or movies that are kind of cinematographic poems so sure. that's why Mona I, likes the weird stuff <laughs> the weirder and more yeah. European the better yeah right. because I, that's where I was born and raised and but, uh, there's a fish so dying way. in the middle of a field and we watch it for two hours <laughs> Mona's got you she's got your back okay so I, I love the cinematographic poem yes the, the beginning and the end but overall I felt but the movie was weak. So watch this movie on mute. Is that oh. what we're saying? No, no, no because I like the mu- the music. Oh, the that's right. I'm sorry. Okay, so buy the CD. Yeah. Uh, or I, nobody does that. Spotify the soundtrack. Watch yeah. the movie on mute. You'll have a ball. 
Yeah, and when you're <laughs> listening to the soundtrack, pay attention when the to the scene when the mute uh, woman is singing. Oh yeah, that was hated that scene. You hated it. <laughs> hated it. Why? Want to smash my computer screen? Come on, flights of fancy. What's wrong? Oh, with oh you God. didn't watch it in the movie theater? Thank God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, no. I hated that. Scene. Why? I need a reason. Uh, Before we go, we got to go. But give me a reason. I, it just was so cheesy. I mean, it was just. I mean, I, I can deal with some level of cheese, but goddamn, does it got to be goat cheese? I mean, it was just cheesy. And she's doing her Fred Astaire. Okay, enough. That was the whole point, man. Guillermo loves movies. Yeah. So you must love him. I like him. I think he does good work. I mean, I loved Hellboy. I love both Hellboys. I thought Pan's Labyrinth was interesting. I I like Pacific Rim. I I think he does really good work. I got no problem with the guy. I just think sometimes his storytelling leans too much towards fantasy as opposed to science fiction. If he stayed more science fiction-y, I'd like him better. Hmm. All right, that said, Oatman, thank you. Mona, thank you for joining us in this episode. Thank you, guys. And we will talk at you next time. Peace and chicken grease.